Hey everyone, this is Brian with Church in the Loop. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited that we're in the Word together and we're going to do some discovery together. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father God, we thank you so much that we can enter into your Word. I pray now that as we do, you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would renew us from the inside out. And I pray that the lives that we are living would be more reflective of who you are, more true to your character, and more purposeful with the um, plans that you have for us for every day, Lord, because we're here for a reason and you want to use us. So we pray that you would conform us more and more into your image. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So recently, um, this week, the other day, I gave blood. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever donated blood before, but, you know, I, I really believe it's a great way to show love for your neighbor. Um, I've really been awakened to the need to love our neighbor more and more because, you know, uh, the whole pandemic has really underscored to me like the importance of wearing masks is a is a great way to show love for our neighbor. Um, you know, it's I'm not wearing the mask so much to protect me from other people. I'm wearing the mask so that if I have the virus, I'm not transmitting it as much as I would be without the mask. And so it's a way of telling my neighbor, showing my neighbor, people I walk by on the sidewalk or in the store, it's a way of showing, hey, I care about you as a human being. I'm wearing a mask for your sake more than mine. And I really think that's the root of loving our neighbor is I'm doing things because I want you to feel the love of God more than it benefits me. That's really what love of neighbor is about. And Jesus talked about the importance. He said, look, if we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's great. But we also need to show that we love our neighbor. Because if you're not loving your neighbor, how can you say you love God? And so that is something, an area we can always improve in and always grow in. And I think mask wearing has been a wonderful opportunity. I feel like, personally, it's been a great lesson and the importance of loving our neighbor. So I just want to encourage you as you wear a mask for this pandemic and 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 you're trying to do that to be a good citizen and all, do it out of a sense of love for your neighbor. Let this be a time of learning for you to realize, hey, this is a way that I can show a love for my neighbor. So I was thinking the other day, um, you know, Another way that I can show love for my neighbor is to donate blood. So I did. And um, the whole thing, you know, you had to answer a survey and some questions and, and read some materials to make sure they knew, you know, what you were doing and or you knew what why you were doing what you are doing, that kind of thing. And if they're on certain medications and stuff like that. Um, the whole procedure only took about 15 minutes, so it was no big deal. But I really am so thankful that I did it because... With the idea of, of giving blood, it's 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 a really it's a good way to say, hey, I love my neighbor. I don't know who's gonna get this, but somebody's gonna benefit from this. I may never ever meet them. I may never even know, but God knows. And it's a it's another way to show love for our neighbor. It's another way to serve other people. Now I gotta admit, um, before you put me on any kind of pedestal, there was some selfish motivation behind me donating this blood. So don't, 
this is where you guys listening need to be careful and remember pastors are people too um and we struggle with pride and we struggle with stuff just like everybody else so here was there was another reason maybe an ulterior motive why i decided to uh, donate blood well one of the things that you do here is when you when, the, when you donate blood they test it for antibodies to see if you've had the COVID-19 virus. And about a month ago, I had an episode for about a week where I had you know, a fever, I had muscle aches, I was fatigued, I had a terrible headache for five days, I lost my taste and smell. I ended up testing negative for the virus, but I still kind of wonder, did I have it? You know, was my test really a negative? Maybe it was really, should have been a positive. So there's a part of me that, yes, I'm glad to donate blood because it's a great way to show love for my neighbor and I really want to do that more. Um, I really walked away with a sense of this is something that every follower of Christ should be doing. This is a great way to show that we love our neighbor. So wouldn't that be a great witness to the world if we could all be doing that? Yes, but I had a selfish motive. Um, my selfish motive was I'm also highly curious, Did I do I have the antibodies? Had a, have I had the virus? So be it that it may, um, I want today to talk to you about serving others because that is really the, the challenge when it comes to serving others is how can we serve others less selfishly? Um, would I have donated blood if they didn't test for antibodies? I don't know. I, that, that definitely motivated me. There was that payoff of I want to know. Um, theoretically, I should donate blood whether they test it or not. But I, I, I'm being honest with you guys. It was definitely something that pushed me over the, the hump of it and said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, but again, that's because it benefits me. And so there's, there's a bit of a selfish, uh, self-centered interest there. How can we grow in what does true serving service look like when we're not motivated by how it benefits us? That's the real challenge for us as followers of Jesus is how can I grow? How can I live in a new reality of the kingdom where I'm seeking to serve others in truly unselfish ways? And that's a challenge. And it's not that you ever arrive. It's just that today, hopefully you can try to do it better than you did yesterday. So this morning from my time with the Lord, I was just in, in my favorite uh, gospel, which is Mark. And you guys know that I, I just love the gospel of Mark. Um, I'm one of these believers that, I mean, yeah, you need to read Scripture um, and try to be well-read in Scripture, but I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I fall back on, I, I really think one of the things that the body of Christ struggles with today is we don't drill down in one book very much. Uh, we just kind of take this popcorn approach to the Scriptures and we're all over the place and we pick out our favorite verses and, and we run with them, and that's okay but I think when you can drill down in a certain book and really spend quality time in it for years um, to the purposeful neglect of the other books, I think you can actually grow in ways that are very deep. So um, I'm not trying to neglect the other parts of the Bible, but it does happen because I'm trying to drill down and mark. So with that being said, uh, I saw something today this morning that I wanted to pass on to you guys that... I smiled when I saw it because I knew I went into this quiet time trusting the Lord to show me something, and and He did. And I, I love it when He does because when He does, 
I'm kind of like the the hound dog that I start I start smelling going, wait a minute, there's more here. I got a trail. I got a trail of my master Jesus, and now I'm hot, I'm hot on the trail. Well, I found a trail, and I want you to join me on this trail as we look at it together. So, we're in Mark chapter 1. Now, there's a frame that I want to point out to you that I've never seen before, and I saw it for the first time today, which is why we're here, and I'm really excited. And a frame is kind of like a hamburger in the Bible. You have, like in a hamburger, you have the top bun, the bottom bun, and then you have the, the, the meat or the patty in between. And oftentimes in scriptures, these are very subtle. Sometimes they're, they're hidden. But when you find them, it really helps you grasp that passage in a way that's really special. And you, you really feel the weight of the message and the passage like, like never before. And so my prayer and hope for you guys is that as I show you this hamburger, you're going to have that same sense of, of Mark chapter 1 teaching us how to be, what does it look like to, be a, to serve the Lord with my life? And we're going to see four ways in which we serve the Lord. Now, the way I want you to think about it is we are to live in the reality of this new kingdom of God on earth. See, God is bringing forth his kingdom, his presence, his influence. And just like your room right now that you're listening to this message in has four walls basically to it, I want you to think of living in the kingdom as having these four walls of service. And as you, as God builds his kingdom around you, you've got these four walls of service that we should always have as strong supports in our life. In other words, we should strongly be engaging in these and, and really trying to build upon them in greater and greater ways, just like you build upon those four walls of your house. So, all right, let's, uh, let's have some fun. So we're in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has just come onto the scene, and he's been baptized. Now, here's something that happens. Immediately, it says in, in t- verse 12, Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness, or the desert, 40 days, tempted or put to the test by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, that word waited on him in Greek is diakoneo. Now, maybe you've never heard of diakoneo before, but you've heard of the word deacon. It's literally where we get the word deacon. The word deacon is somebody who serves in the church. Um, Traditionally speaking, it's somebody in the church who, you know, they're not trying to be a leader in the church, so to speak. They don't want a platform for speaking for teaching, but they really want to serve. And so typically in a church you have what are called deacons. Um, and deacons, the purpose of deacons is that they take upon a ministry of the church. Maybe it's a ministry to the homeless, or maybe it's a, a ministry to the, the children in the neighborhood that uh, need an after-school program, or maybe it's to um, single moms, or um, you know, whatever it may be, uh, those who are hungry, but they lead a ministry and because it's a ministry of service, and so they're called a deacon, all right? So here we have Jesus, after he's baptized, he is led by the Spirit of God for a time of testing in the desert for 40 days. It mirrors the 40 years that Israel was tested, but yet 
Israel failed, Jesus didn't. Jesus is the new Israel. He's, he's retracing the steps of Israel, but he's doing it perfectly. It's kind of like he's given the nation of Israel, the people of God, a do-over, and the do-over is found in him. And so it's really, there's a lot of significance here to what he's doing and a lot of symbolism. And it says the angels of God waited on him and they diakoneo, they served him. Okay, At the end of this time, they served him because he was weak and they needed to strengthen him. They served him. Then what's interesting is there's four passages or paragraphs, four uh, acts. If this were a play, there's four acts that happen. And then we see that word pop up again at the end, towards the end of Mark chapter 1, and where Jesus goes into the home of Simon Peter uh, and his mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, is sick with a fever, and Jesus heals her, and it says that she got up immediately and began to serve them. And it's the same word, diakoneo, serve. So there's your frame. There are your two hamburger buns of the word serve. So in verse 13, you have the angels serving Christ. Then you have these four stories or illustrations of Jesus serving God by doing certain things. Remember, he's the model servant. He's the model Israel. So he's showing us what it means to be the true people of God. And then it ends, the passage ends with that word service again. And so it's basically challenging us, if we're going to be a people, if we're going to be the, the new people of God, the new Israel, so to speak, who are following after God in a world that's broken, at the core of who we are, are people who want to serve God. We want to be a people who want to serve our God. And what does that look like? Incorporate these four things into your life. Okay? So we're going to move quickly um, because we have a lot of ground to cover, but I want to give you uh, an idea on how you can take this passage and study it on your own with these four things in mind and go deeper with it. Okay, So Jesus um, now is on the move. Verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So here we have Jesus. The first thing, the first act in this play that we see is he says, Hey guys, the kingdom of God has come near. You need to believe this. In other words, God is closer than you think. Now, for the people back then hearing that, that was good news. Why was it good news? Because if you wanted to get near to God back then, that meant going to Jerusalem being ritually pure, offering ritual sacrifices to get near to God. If you couldn't do those things, you were not near to God. You were hampered. You were prevented. You were kind of on the outside looking in. You were on the, the periphery. Uh, it's like you were in the nosebleed section of the stadium trying to look with binoculars at the players on the field. But when you could go to Jerusalem, it was like you were you had a front row seat to what God was doing, what he was up to, his presence. Okay, So when Jesus is going into Galilee, now Galilee was a mixed place. It was Jews and Gentiles. And saying, hey guys, the kingdom of God, the presence of God is now here. 
and it's near to you. That's pretty radical. And so the first thing, that way that we serve God, is to proclaim to tell other people that God wants to be near them through Jesus, his son. That there is good news for them. That their brokenness can be a glue to God through Jesus and not a barrier. I think a lot of people feel that their brokenness, their pain, their suffering, and even their mistakes and their shame and their guilt and all the things they've done wrong, I think they can feel like all of those things are like a barrier. Like God could never love me because of these things. And that barrier separates them from God. It separates them from his love, his hope, and any kind of meaningful life with him. And Jesus is saying that's not true. Through me, he has broken through that barrier. That's why Jesus said, I am the door and my sheep come and go through me. And what he meant was that barrier that separates you and God, I'm the door. I, I remodeled it. I, I made a door. I, I put a doorway there. And now God's presence can come to you and you to him through that doorway. And I'm that door for you. That is good news. That is amazing news. So the first way that we can serve others is not just to think this, these thoughts. These are great thoughts to think, and we need to understand them for ourselves. And we need to be thinking this way, but we need to be speaking this way. We need to tell others in their brokenness, in their pain, God has come near. And the door, he's made a doorway through it, through Jesus, and he really wants to be by their side. That's why Jesus proclaimed this in Galilee and not Jerusalem. Because Galilee was kind of on the outside. Galilee was where people were mixed, and it wasn't always that pure, religiously pure, you know, ritually pure, that kind of thing. And so Jesus is like, hey, I'm coming to you. Let's move on. So, so isn't that cool? I think that's beautiful. All right, so then we move on. And it says, um, reading on, As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So now we have this next paragraph. And what we see is the calling of the disciples. And them dropping what they're doing to follow Jesus. So if we're going to be a people who serve God, the challenge here is, are you willing to drop your plans for God's plans? Sometimes that's going to look really weird. Sometimes that's going to look really unconventional. And sometimes people will really criticize you for doing that. They're going to say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? That's ridiculous. That's dumb. You should be over here doing X, Y, and Z instead. But here's these fishermen. And now keep in mind, they have a family business that they are running. And back in those days, it was a family business. It was, you were the business. So if you got sick that day and didn't work, there was no vacation days or sick days. I mean, you probably didn't make any money. And back then, people lived day to day to day. It wasn't like they had a lot of savings. So... For Jesus to say, hey, drop your nets and come follow me, that was a radical call. 
And that was a radical decision on their part. But it was rooted in trust. The word radical comes from a Latin word, which means root. And it, and it, it literally means you're rooted. This was a radical call that was rooted in trust in Jesus. And so they could do it. I think if we're going to be a people who serve God, we need to have a radical trust in Jesus, a trust that is rooted in him, not just there for the good times or a trust that makes, when it makes sense, we practice it. But it's a trust that says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead me to go, even when it doesn't make sense. I hope that you have stories of that. I hope you have stories of trust in Jesus because those are the stories that inspire others to believe. Those are the stories that inspire others that they can follow Jesus too in radical ways for their own life. And I think what's missing sometimes in the world today are those kinds of stories. I think sometimes we play it too safe. We, we are too comfortable. We are too set in our ways. And we are too, um, we think in terms of what the world tells us to think. And we don't think in terms of, well, what if Jesus is telling me this? Um, I remember when God called us to Chicago. And this was, um, you know, about 10 years ago. We moved here in 2010. And one of the ways that, the, the way we did it is, you know, we were living paycheck to paycheck at the time in another state. And God calls it, called us to literally move and come up here um, for all the way from Missouri to Chicago. And I remember just looking at our finances saying, you know, Chicago is expensive, you know, to move from a small town to base or a small city to a big city. That's a big cost increase. Uh, and rent here is three times what we paid for it back in Missouri. Um, and, and that's the truth. And so I remember just kind of being freaked out. And one of the things that God put on my heart to do was he said, look, I've, I've given you the means. That retirement that you've been saving up for, that 401k, cash it out. Now, I remember looking at it, it wasn't that much money, but I remember looking at it saying, well, if I cash that out, that would allow us to do this move and we could live off that while we get settled and kind of figure things out and try to get jobs and all that. But what a foolish thing to do. You're not supposed to cash out your retirement. You're not supposed to say, I mean, the whole purpose of saving for your retirement is you're saving for some, you know, your retirement. But I felt like Jesus said, Brian, is that my money or your money? And I was like, well, Lord, it's yours. And he's like, is your retirement mine or yours? Well, Lord, my times are in your hands, so it's yours. So he, he said, put it on the altar. And I did. And so I cashed it out. And I remember we came up and I, I cashed it out. We lived off it to buy groceries, to pay rent as we were looking for jobs. And I remember every month watching the, that balance go down, 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 down. And I kept looking for a job and I kept looking for a job. And every month it was going down till finally it was gone. And then that's when God gave me a job. In other words, he was like, I want to know, are you willing to follow me even if it costs you that? And I had a lot of friends tell me, Brian, that's foolish. Financially, that's dumb. Financially, that is wrong. But yet, I knew the Lord was asking that of me. And I did it. And I have no regrets. And he's taking care of us. So we serve God when we trust him for his plans and not ours, even when they don't make sense. And sometimes they will, and sometimes 
definitely don't. But I promise you, it's the greatest adventure you could ever have. And isn't that what people are looking for? They want to know, is following God an adventure or is it boring? Because I don't want boring in my life. Let me tell you, when you follow the Lord, it is the greatest adventure you could ever have. <laughs> okay, so reading on. So he picks these disciples. It's a radical decision. It's rooted in a deep trust in the Lord. And then it says, Then they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Okay, so here he goes into the synagogue, and he's teaching. And he, he does an exorcism, and these unclean spirits had kept this man in darkness, spiritual darkness, and now the light was shining. One of the ways that we serve God is to spend time with Him in His Word. I'm not going to tell you how you should do it. I'm not going to tell you when you should do it. But we need to be spending time with the Lord, learning from God, hearing His voice, listening, praying, and studying His Word, reading His Word. Now, we're all different. For some of you, um, you're going to be able to go jogging and listen to podcast or a sermon, you know, something like that. Um, for some of you, it's going to be early in the morning before the sun rises. You're going to spend a few moments in the Word. For other of you, others of you, it's going to be maybe over lunch. You're going to have a, read your devotional and, and study the Word a little bit. Or for others, it might be just before you go to bed and, and fall asleep, you're, you spend a few moments with the Lord in prayer and reading some of the Scriptures. However you do it is up to you and the Lord. I would say have fun with it. But do it and try to be consistent with it. Um, try to um, get make a practice out of it and, and really make it a part of your routine of life. Now, I know routines can be routines. They can sometimes, you can do them out of routine and not feel like the benefit's there. But what I would say to that is it's kind of like, you know, brushing your teeth. You know, sometimes I brush my teeth and it's so routine that I don't even notice I'm doing it. And sometimes, you know, I do remember it. But the point is, is the benefits of daily doing that are always there. By the way, I, I always like to freak out my dentist whenever I go to the dentist and they're like, ah, oh, so how are you doing? I'm like, good. And they're like, how's the brushing going? I'm, and I, I like to joke with people and I'll say something like, well, I'm really proud of myself because I've been brushing more consistently. And they'll say, oh, what, what do you mean? I'll say, well, now I'm doing it at least once a week. <laughs> and, I'll wait, and then I wait for their reaction and I'm like, you know, I'm just kidding <laughs> and then they say usually something like well there's people really like that so, <laughs> but the point is is let's, let's spend time in the word more than once a week um, and that's a challenge but I want to encourage you guys to do that um, I have a, a friend years ago I had a friend of mine a dentist who at church and his big thing was to floss like, and he, whenever he'd see me, he'd always say, hey, are you flossing? And 
at first I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't have time to floss. That takes more time. You know, I just want to brush my teeth and go to bed. So I thought, okay, I know he's going to ask me. So I started flossing. Now, this is like 20 years later now, seriously. Now in my life, I have to floss. If, if I travel somewhere and I go somewhere and I don't have floss, I literally find a, um, like a, a drugstore and I buy floss. Because I cannot go to bed without flossing. It's like, I have to do it now. And if I, for some reason, can't, it's, to me, it's just the most disgusting feeling if I can't floss. So, that's because I've made it a habit. I've made it important to me. And it's the same with God's Word. We, we need to take the same approach. Have you spiritually flossed? Given the Holy Spirit time to get things straight in our hearts. And, and that takes a few moments of quality time in the Word. And again, I'm not going to tell you how much. For some people, that's that's a minute or two. For others, it's an hour. For others, it might be, you know, even longer. Great, whatever it is, but just do it. Just do it, okay? All right, so let's review. God has come near. One of the ways we serve God is proclaiming that to other people. Number two, the calling of the disciples. One of the ways that we show that we serve God is we follow him no matter where and no matter what. And then we see this time of learning where God brings forth his light. And this man was liberated. He was liberated by the light, the insight, and the truth of God that Jesus brought. God wants to do the same with us. He wants to liberate us to walk after him, to follow after him. And then there's one more part of this passage. So, Reading on, and this is, we're going to wrap up with this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Okay, so here you have in this final act of the play, call it Act 4, or Scene 4, we see... The love of God going where others say we should not go. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis were known for their ritual purity. So they go into the village, and he goes into the home of one of these new disciples named Simon, which we know as Peter. Well, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Now, in Bible times, you didn't, if you were a rabbi, you would not go in that home because there's sickness there. That home is unclean. It's, it's, it's off limits. And especially for this new rabbi named Jesus who is starting to gather disciples, the last thing they want to do is spoil the, the momentum that he's starting to build. They don't want... So when they say, oh, by the way, quick, Jesus, the, my mother-in-law is sick, I don't think it was... I, I mean, I'm, I could be wrong on this, but my thinking is... They were quick to tell him because they're like, oh, you need to get out of here before more people see you in here. This is ritually impure. Don't be in here. That's what I think their motivation was. Now, maybe they were also concerned, I'm sure, about her health. But my guess, if I was like making a movie and I had to film this scene, it would be, oh, no, uh, Jesus, you're a rabbi. You're not supposed to be in here. This, this can contaminate you. Well, Jesus is like, I'm not going to listen to the taboos of people around me because there's a person in there that needs my touch. Where is she? And he goes into the other room where she's kind of quarantined 
and he heals her. And then it says she got up to serve them. And there's that word uh, diakoneo again, to become a deacon. There it is. There's that word service again. So Jesus practiced service in that situation by going to the taboo place and reaching out with the love and the healing love and touch of God. And so one of the ways that we love others is we love the, one of the ways we serve God is to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, to seek after the one. Remember Jesus said the good shepherd leaves the 99 because they're, they're safe and secure to go find the one that wandered off and was lost. That's what it means to serve God, is you're willing to go anywhere for him to serve others in his name. Now, it doesn't mean you always do that. I mean, obviously, we need to practice wisdom. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need our brothers and sisters to watch our backs. But the point is, there is no place that the light of God cannot go. There is no dark room where the light of God is not meant to shine. And sometimes God's going to use you as the vessel for that to happen and to bring forth his love and truth through Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, I know I'm not supposed to be in here. I know this is controversial, and this may even undermine my social standing with the religious leaders of the day. I may lose a lot of social media followers by doing this, but I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, and I'm bringing the love of God to serve in this situation and rescue a life. And that's what God wants us to do. I want to wrap up with this thought. So if you could see my notes um, for this message today, I, I'm really a messy note taker. Um, it's, it's pretty horrible, to be honest. Some guys, I used to, when I was a, a pastor full time, I would go to a coffee shop and I had a laptop and I would sit down and literally type out my sermon almost line by line, you know, outline form and really details. And, and it was nice because I kept a record of those and all this. Now, I'm working during the week, and so when it's time to work on my sermon, it's literally me looking for some scraps of paper to, to go just jot down what the Lord's showing me, and it's very messy. So I found a scrap of paper today, um, and it's kind of ironic, but it's basically my pay stub from work. It's the back side of it. So the back side of my pay stub from work, um, it literally has all my notes now for this message that I'm giving you on it. But what's funny, because this is the only because I, I was looking in my backpack, I was just trying to find a piece of paper as I had my Bible open, and I was like, okay, I need to write this stuff down, and that's the only piece of paper I could find around me, so I, I used it. But the funny part of it is, is in gray letters, peppered on the back, like line, it's it's just the the back of this is filled with these gray letters that say non-negotiable, 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 and it's all throughout the page. This because it's the back of my check stub. So I guess that's their way of saying, you know, nobody can Xerox this and try to cash it again, that kind of thing. And it's like non-negotiable, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. And it's funny because I feel like the Lord is saying these four truths, these four ways of serving me as modeled in Jesus, my son, are non-negotiable for your life. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, You've got to practice these things. 
and they're non-negotiable. These are things that are meant for you to practice every day. Not just to think about, not just to consider, not just to ponder and go, okay, that's a good thought, thank you for the sermon. But no, these are things that are non-negotiable. They've got to be a part. They've got to be the walls of the house that we live in. And if they're not, then we've got to tear down whatever walls are there and rebuild them with these four ways of serving God. Number one, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is the doorway. And we need to tell people about that. That barrier that people feel is there between them and God, yeah, it's there. But Jesus has put a doorway in it. And he is that doorway to God. Number two, the calling of the disciples. Sometimes God's going to call you in ways that don't make sense and can be very costly. But it'll never cost you more than he paid on the cross. Whatever cost you pay is never equal to what Jesus has already paid for us on the cross to die for our sins and to give us, to be that doorway for us in God. Number three, we serve God by learning and listening to his voice. We need that time with him. When we, when we miss out on that time, we're really missing out on serving God. It serves God to sit at his feet and listen. There's a service there that it's, it's kind of weird for us because we want to do things. But it does bless the heart of God when we spend time with him and his word. Let's do that. Let's serve God that way. And then number four, there is no dark room where the light of God is not meant to shine. And there is no place that the love of God, there is no heart beyond the touch of the love of God. Don't write people off. Don't, don't ignore the needs around you. I want to close with this. The other day, Beth and I were walking, and we always try to take a walk at night together after dinner. And we kind of have a certain path that we follow here in our city. And it's about, oh, maybe two miles and it's a nice little walk. It takes us about 40 minutes, and it's just a nice way to, after dinner, to spend time, talk about our day, and just kind of vent about some things, you know. And, and um, one day we were walking, this was last week, and I was talking about how, you know, the struggle of life and, and just the struggle of things. And every once in a while, I just kind of feel like I'm just tired of it all, you know. You, you, you know what I mean. And as I was, I literally said, I, I wish God would just tap somebody to really just bless us. <laughs> and right as I said that, we walked by this bench in a park. And sleeping on the bench was a homeless man. Literally as I said those words. And there was this awkward silence as we kept walking and... She looked at me and she said, do you realize what just happened? And I was like, yeah, yeah. That could be us. And here I am wishing, wishing for more blessings. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's how we get tunnel vision on our lives. So what we're going to do is next time we go on that path walking, we're going to take an extra sandwich or something with us so that if we see this gentleman, you know, we can at least offer him some food, um, make sure he's okay. But I think God needed to kind of jar me loose from that tunnel vision. He said, Brian, you've got a warm bed. This guy's sleeping on a bench, and it's cold outside. You've got a roof over your head. He doesn't. 
You've got a refrigerator full of food. He doesn't. You've got a job to go to. He doesn't. You've got a family that loves you. He doesn't. You know, as far as we know, he doesn't. He's all alone. And it really was a good corrective lesson. I was like, thank you, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> My prayer is that these four ways of serving God would truly be non-negotiable for me and you moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, the world needs to see Jesus. Um, he came, he saw, he loved, and by the cross he conquered. And he's made a way for us to bring forth that wonderful message to others and to live it. And Lord, I must confess that oftentimes we get tunnel vision, we focus on ourselves, on our own stuff. Forgive us for that. And I pray that you would help us to be true servants, just like when you called Israel, you called them to be the people of God who serve in your name. Lord, we want to be the people of God who serve in Jesus' name. So I pray that we would, moving forward, in ways that are adventurous, exciting, maybe, maybe even a bit dangerous, but give us those stories to tell that we could pass on to others of your amazing love for such a broken world and for such broken people like us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.